Welcome to Toy Fix Podcast. This is episode six. I'm Andy. I'm Wes. And we are here to talk about the Toy Biz X-Men toy lines as we do every week. And today we have a really extreme set of figures that we're going to be talking about. They're bad. They're bold. They're aggressive. It's the bad guys from X-Force Wave 1. And you know that X-Force is the extreme mutant team. And so you can imagine that the guys they go up against must be incredibly extreme and exciting and expressive uh, expressive there's no filler at all here because they're all pretty awesome we did a great job last time of sort of summarizing what's going on in the x-force line in 1992 and one thing i would just reiterate quickly right now is that this toy line came out when the comic was still brand new. And so they had just a handful of issues to pull characters from. But you would never know it, given the strong bench of characters that they bring to us for us to review today. 1992, 1993 was a lot of change for Marvel as a company. And we'll probably cover that more in our next episode. You can sort of see the promise that's getting realized by the sheer fact that there is an X-Force wave at all. So do you want to dive in and start talking about the figures? I'll let you take the pleasure here. This is probably the most well-known person from wave one period, good guy or bad guy, it's Deadpool. I'm about to do to you what Limp Bizkit did to music in the late 90s. Dad? Deadpool is a mercenary and one of the world's most dangerous assassins. What makes Deadpool so dangerous is not his super silent tracking ability, or his assassin's arsenal of incredible weapons, it's his ability to paralyze his victims with fear. He enjoys doing that so much that sometimes he lets his victims go. A panic-stricken live victim, he reasons, does wonders for his reputation. Wow, that is so sadistic for a children's toy. And it sort of does hint at what Deadpool would become. It does. It's interesting. So, I mean, it also pretty strongly implies that he kills most of his targets, which is, of course, what an assassin does. But usually in media targeted toward kids, they kind of dance around that. He is, I think, the most famous character in this line. You know, probably one of the more famous characters that we've talked about because he has had two feature-length movies starring Ryan Reynolds. He also briefly appeared in X-Men Origins Wolverine, but we don't talk about that. Can we please not talk about that? The only thing that this character has in common with the one from X-Men Origins Wolverine is there is no mouth on this action figure. Deadpool's in his classic red and black costume. It's the costume that he still wears to this day. It's the one that you see Ryan Reynolds in in the new movies. Let's talk a little bit about where, who Deadpool was when this figure was made. Yeah, he's a guy who likes swords. He does like swords. So he had just debuted. His first appearance was New Mutants 98. He was a mercenary who the mysterious Tolliver had contracted to kill Cable. So he shows up and he fights Cable and the New Mutants for a while. Three major characters debuted, another of whom we're going to talk about today. It was also the first appearance of Domino's and then Cable binds and gags Deadpool and then, and then FedExes him back to Tolliver. That, that's really what happened. Product placement. If you have seen the movies, if you read Deadpool in comic books today, 
he is an entirely different character from the one that debuted in Emin's 98. Nowadays, he's a very snarky character. He's aware that he's in a comic book. He breaks the fourth wall frequently. He is much more of an anti-hero and even an out-and-out hero at times. He was a member of the Avengers for a while. Uh, I cannot stand that. I know. In any case, uh, when he first debuted, he was an out-and-out villain, and he did wisecrack a bit, but he's otherwise unrecognizable. However, he was incredibly popular when he debuted. And I wonder why that is because when I first saw this action figure I just figured it was a Spider-Man that they had painted differently. So this was another character who was designed by Rob Liefeld who was at the helm of X-Force when it was launched. Fabian Nicieza was co-plotting with Rob or he was scripting for Rob. In any case he's an X-Men writer who was also involved in X-Force and I read on the internet so it must be true that Rob was apparently a fan of the comic book Teen Titans published by DC Comics And one of the major villains of the Teen Titans is a character called Deathstroke the Terminator, who Deadpool basically is. (laughs) And so when Rob Liefeld showed uh, Fabian Nicieza his drawing of this new character he created, uh, Nicieza apparently said that's Deathstroke the Terminator, and then gave Deadpool the real name Wade Wilson, which is a joke because Deathstroke's real name is Slade Wilson. But somehow he was incredibly popular, even though he was like not an original character and there wasn't really much interesting about him when he first showed up. Funny how they would just throw things against the wall and it would stick. It's almost like there was a bubble happening in the comic industry. All three characters who debuted in New Mutants 98 went on to become superstars, just like Deadpool. He was a major character in X-Force number two, and apparently he wasn't originally supposed to return to the series until sometime later, but they brought him back for issue two of of X-Force because he was such a fan favorite so quickly. When Liefeld took over the New Mutants and then transitioned it to X-Force, he really tried to cut ties from the book that the New Mutants had been. In fact, at the end of New Mutants 98, there's a whole scene where Cable is going through all of the characters who had been written out recently, like longtime major characters like Danny Moonstar and Magma. And he's talking about them with Domino. Basically, for each of them, he's like, she's not worth it. She's not a team player. She sucks. We, we don't need her. Don't worry. About, like, her power is useless. It was pretty obviously just Rob slamming the characters that he didn't want to write so he could bring in his cool extreme characters. I mean, that's fair. It's basically what we're doing with action figures right now. <laughs> No, absolutely. Although, I mean, Deadpool ended up becoming a really cool character. And, and I would argue that the design is, is cool. It, it is very reminiscent of Deathstroke and of Spider-Man. Uh, I think that what subsequent writers did with Deadpool in terms of making him the character that we know today is, is what gave him the staying power that he has. So I don't credit his creator with his popularity. Sorry, Liefeld. Yeah, breaking the the fourth wall is what makes him unique now. It's funny, looking at this picture of him, I just don't even feel like it's the same character. No, it's not. So should we talk about the figure? He has a really cool feature that's appropriate for every Thanksgiving. He's got a a dagger in his left hand. So love that, I'm left-handed. And it's stuck in there, but you can also use it to stab things because it springs back into it, hilts. So it looks like he's really plunging it into his victim. It's a bit violent for a children's toy. I do think it's kind of a cool action feature. It's funny that you mentioned the Thanksgiving dinner application of it because it does have a serrated edge. So it does look a lot like a turkey cutter. And the write up here, it says his non-removable dagger moves in and out when enemies are hit. He also comes with two other swords, which you can't hold both of them at the same time because he only has one free hand, but they do go into the hill. They, they do slide into the hilt on his back, which is pretty cool, I think. 
Very cool look. I don't understand. In my mind, Deadpool mostly uses guns and things like that, but he's always drawn with sword. But I don't think of him as being like a swordsman. Yeah, I mean, he's he's got that more ninja thing going on really early on, because especially if you counter him to Cable, Cable always had guns, always drawn with guns. So he's like the skinnier more flexible sword guy. No, and I, it's, I, I do like that he's a skinnier figure too. So he's visually distinct on the shelf. Now looking at it as an adult, I, I think this costume was fairly derivative when it came out, but at the time I thought it looked cool. It's, it's so funny how times change because now at 28 years later, his name would be what's leading the line. It would not be the X-Force line, it would be Deadpool. And all of these yeah, characters, no. they'd shoe in under a Deadpool line. Well, and that is actually the case with Marvel Legends. They have Deadpool waves and then they add a couple of X-Force characters characters into it and that that's how the x-force characters are currently getting released this is how we'll finally get our gw bridge anything else to say about deadpool i think we'll see some later repaints some different variations for him but not as many as we'll see for cable which just goes to show you why marvel and toy biz went under later i'm really excited about the next figure we're going to talk about i am too he's the one i actually researched the most because i needed to justify why he's here i can't wait to hear what you learned about him we're talking of course about forearm what is going on you guys so today we're bringing you that intense five minute dumbbell forearm workout now a lot of you guys have been asking for it so we're about to give it to you <laughs> this evil mutant loves to fight forearms favorite boast that is that he's the best in hand to hand to hand to hand combat it's not a hollow boast either forearm can clobber a dozen attackers in second locked doors can't keep him out for long either his rapid fire pile driver punches can buckle steel though he can use guns if he has to forearm prefers to fight with his fist because he's so good at it magneto the leader of the evil mutants is only too happy to let him magneto yeah magneto he's the leader of the evil mutants. forearm doesn't work for magneto the leader of the extreme evil mutants is another character we're going to talk about today it's not magneto yeah this sort of an interesting cross-pollination even when the designers and whatever intern was writing the card back realized that they would need some uh cross-pollination to move forearm action figures. That's probably why I bought this damn thing when I was a kid, because I figured he was one of Magneto's evil mutants. He definitely screams lackey with that costume, which is basically a pair of suspenders. I feel like it looks kind of like fetish wear. And I think his accessory doesn't stop that (laughs) sensation. In my notes, I wrote, why nunchucks? But when I look at these nunchucks, they don't look like Michelangelo's. No, it's sort of a weird shape. Yeah, I mean, it looks a lot like another object that I I did not know about when I was a child. One side is... Double-headed. That's the only... I couldn't think of the word. And that side could not be put into his fist. That's the action end, obviously. I want to hear what you learned about Forearm, because my note was, who cares? First of all, his name is Michael McCain, and he debuted actually in New Mutants 86 in February 1990 as a member of the Mutant Liberation Front. So he's actually older than Deadpool or Domino. He apparently, according to Wikipedia, was the person who freed Rusty and Skids from jail. Why is that significant? Because the only thing I know about Rusty and Skids is in the Fatal Attractions crossover, Professor X just basically knocks him out with his mind. Tragically, Michael McCain died in October 2001 in Wolverine issue 167. He's such a a significant character. They talked about it many times after that. (laughs) Oftentimes characters would be like, where's Forearm? What happened to Forearm? 
And then, of course, Logan would pipe it up. Oh, he died in a cage match in a random fight. By someone named Anaconda? Based off his accessory, you'd think that Forearm could have handled Anaconda. Another thing I have to throw out there, if you go to Marvel.com, which I don't do that much, but if you do go to their character list and you search for Forearm, there is shockingly no entry for him, which is insane. There's two entries for a character named 3D Man, one of whom is literally wearing glasses, one wears red, and one is blue. He has two in- entries, but none for Forearm. You no, know, he was one of the agents of Atlas and also one of the Avengers from the 50s. Can we talk about how Forearm's name is a pun? He has uh, four arms, but his name is Forearm, like like the F-O-R-E, like the, the lower part of your arm. Can you imagine you're part of a mutant terrorist cell, the Mutant Liberation Front, and you're all deciding names, and there's Reaper, and there's Wild Side, and you're like, I'm going to go by Forearm. I have a feeling with a name like Forearm, he didn't come up with it himself. Like, that's what they made fun of him about. Like, if you've ever been in a group, there's always one person that everybody picks on, and it might have been Michael McCain in this group, I hate to say. He received a trading card in the Fleer X-Men trading card line. You know, most of the MLF did not receive a card, so I was like, this guy, he matters. He doesn't matter. He doesn't oh. matter at all. Before we talk about the figure itself, I have a revelation for you, Wes. Yeah? Which is that when Forearm first debuted, he was even more boring than he is as we see him today in action figure form. So I'm sharing a panel from New Mutants 86, or it might be from X-Force number one, but those were his first two major appearances, he doesn't even have a costume. He's just a black-haired white guy with khaki pants and boots and forearms, and he's shirtless. I know I've seen this picture before because I recognize Tempo shooting out here and the inclusion of Thumbelina <laughs> as well. You know, if you could just pick it up your costume off a rack at JCPenney's, it's not the most thought-provoking. I'm so glad that you name-checked Thumbelina. So every, like, superhero and supervillain team always has, a, you know, the muscle, like the big guy. Forearm was clearly the muscle for the MLF. But as far as I can tell, he never got any character development. There are other teams like the Marauders and the Acolytes where the individual characters didn't get much character development. But at least the, some of the characters have interesting and distinct looks. I feel like in X-Force, every character is the muscle, so that's probably why he wasn't super relevant. When I think about sort of what makes it fun to have toys of characters who are part of a team, like it's fun when you get more members of the team. But the only MLF members we ever got, I believe, were Strife and Forearm. And Strife is a character in his own right. And so we have like an MLF of one, which is Forearm. Let's talk about this toy. So he's maintained the cool khakis and boots from his initial appearance, but he's added sweat wristbands because it was the 80s and 90s. Suspenders. Uh, and harness is what you mean. And like a red headpiece that was all the rage back then as well. It looks like something you might wear in karate when you get your orange belt and you can finally start hitting somebody else but you have to wear this for your safety yeah well maybe that's where you know his belt is orange what do we think of this figure honestly i think the figure is really good obviously you had it but i think the design is really cool and the feature is awesome i agree i think that having he has four arms and they're each articulated which is really cool it's certainly visually distinct from the other characters yeah i mean he doesn't have bendable knees but he's got 
four bendable arms. I do think that this costume is pretty cool, not just because I think it is um, representative of the gay leather community. If you press the lever on his back, his arm, you can make his arms like kind of go up and down. They would all swivel, right? Yeah, they would. So they would like all, all four of them. It could look really like he's pummeling like a lot of people. Oh yeah, it was cool. And the figure is well sculpted. The accessory is baffling. It's probably better for him to have not come with one because it would have led to less questions. Also, if you notice how one of his lower arms is sort of like, you could like sort of give someone like a friendly pat on the butt with it. Yeah. The way the hand is sculpted. He's got the scoop going on there. Yeah, okay, forearm. And in a different world where they had made a bunch of MLF toys, I think that he would round out that group very nicely, but he just, he's like an orphan. So he played a, uh, an important role in the Executioner's Song storyline, which we'll talk about later when we talk about another character. In that storyline, he wore this costume. I couldn't figure out if that was the first time he wore it or not. Wikipedia mentions that he's now living on Krakoa. I was like, did they really waste one of their eggs to like bring back this guy? I, I'm curious about that. Maybe they'll yeah. explore that a little bit more. Yeah, they brought back all the MLF. I actually read that issue where he shows up very briefly. I'm so confused about everything happening nowadays, and it's not just in the comics, I'll be honest. I think that that's it for Forearm. It's really more time than he deserves based off his character history and stuff, but this is the only time we'll see him. Anything else to say about Forearm, now's the time. You and I have just talked more about Forearm than anyone has ever talked about him in over 20 years. Such a shame. Now we're going to talk about a character who is very well known, who has been the center of many major storylines. Anyone who's familiar with the X-Men, this character's name is on their lips. We're talking, of course, about Gideon. Jonah. Gideon, Rebecca, Delilah, Who's that? Rictor, Who is that? Jonah, Gideon. Who is that? Imagine fighting a stronger and faster version of yourself. That's what it's like for the X-Men when they battle Gideon. Whether it's one person or ten, Gideon can absorb the abilities of everyone he fights, increase that power, and turn himself into a supercharged version of his opponents. Not only that, Gideon is also one of the world's richest men. His ultimate goal is a mystery, but one thing's for sure, he has the power and money to reach it. Everything's aspirational, especially in the early 90s. Gideon was another flash in the pan character who no one cares about today. I thought he used, he had green hair, but apparently he later got green hair. He also first appeared in New Mutants 98. And I didn't pay enough attention to him to notice whether his hair was white or green. 98 was in February 1991. So basically a year later, his action figure comes out. Later, they just decided he would have green hair instead of white. So how would you describe his look? If you can Consider all of him, powers and his money. He's like the Silver Age X-Men villain mimic, except with bulbous mu- muscles, a green high pony, and really good business investment history. He does have that like Ariana Grande high ponytail. So he also is wearing a vest, but with nothing under it. What would you like tie that look to? Being rich. <laughs> you can do that when you're rich. I don't know. It looks like a server from a restaurant. We see some evidence in Gideon's design of what I would call Rob Liefeld's character design ticks. Things that he just does again and again and again. One, of course, is pouches. Gideon has no pouches, but Gideon has the ever popular metallic arms that we saw in Kane uh, slash Weapon X that we saw in Cable. There's something different about Gideon's though. What's different about them? They're gold. Because he's so rich. He's like, I think like clearly a Sebastian Shaw knockoff. Then I went and read New Mutants 98. It opens with Gideon fighting a bunch of robots that were designed by Shaw Industries. But he makes short work of them. He like dictates to his assistant a letter to Sebastian saying like, you know, next time send me better robots. He comes 
comes across as really queer from the start. He signs the letter, ever yours, Gideon. Well, that's how rich people do. I watched Downton Abbey. They do that exact same thing. Maybe it's just, you know, my lack of awareness of how the upper class lives that's coming out. As a character, he doesn't have a lot of interesting individual things going for him. You know, know, he's rich and he's evil, just like Sebastian Shaw. In his first appearance, he kills Sunspot's father. Then he, like, takes Sunspot in to be, like, his ward. This is a very weird storyline. I was following that. Doesn't really make much sense. Well, he, so things revealed to to be an external, which is not an eternal. So he yeah, won't no, be in the movie. It's E-X-T-E-R-N-A-L as opposed to like X hyphen Eternal. In case you're thinking about that X-Men cartoon episode, Externally Yours. So he's an external. This is like one of those storylines from the early 90s that went nowhere. Just like the Upstart storyline. It seemed interesting at first, but then the, right, the writer shifted. I, I think this is one of those cases where this was introduced when Rob Liefeld was still on board and then they just went in a different direction. But the externals were like this group of ancient mutants who are immortal. And the reason why Gideon took Sunspot in was because he, they thought that Sunspot was one of them. But then it was revealed that Cannonball was actually an external. Spoilers, he's not. Like, he's not immortal. That, like, all got undone later. Could have been so interesting if perhaps the external hadn't been the white guy. But nope, it was the white guy. Each of the externals was supposed to represent a different concept. I mean, like, it would have been interesting if, like, they each represented, like, one of the deadly sins or, you know, something that, like, exists outside of X-Force. But no, it was just different concepts. So apparently Gideon represents opportunity, uh, according to Wikipedia. Well, I'm so glad we had the opportunity to shade him today by reviewing his action figure. He got brought back for a hot minute in around X-Force, like 53, just to be like immediately killed. They don't even show him getting killed. They just like, the issue opens with like his dead body. And it's like, Gideon never thought he would die because he was, he thought he was immortal. But like, look, he's dead. As with all comic book characters, he eventually shows up again. He showed up in like a recent cable storyline that was also terrible that was written by a writer who made a bunch of really stupid comments. I feel like you're hinting at something I should know more about. He made like disparaging comments about social justice warriors. Like on Twitter recently? Yeah, this was a couple of years ago. He was writing an an X-Men book. Like, I don't know if he understands that the X-Men actually are social justice warriors. Like that is what they are. That's all I have about Gideon. I don't think he really matters as a character. The toy, I mean, let's talk about the toy real quick. So, I mean, he might be as gay as Garrison Kane. He's also wearing the like the like the leggings that Garrison Kane was wearing. Yeah, skin tight pants. I do like that they mentioned the X Men on the bio on the back of the of the card. I don't think that the X Men proper ever met Gideon ever. Tis lost, to be honest. He has a briefcase with a hidden sword inside. That's sort of cool. It is. I mean, like it sort of presents him as like a deadly businessman, which they all are because they're just taking all of your money. Yeah, no, I mean, I like the idea of like him like going into like a corporate boardroom and just pulling out a sword and making, you know, making some joke about like being the head of the company before you decapitate someone. I continue to be impressed with the amount of stuff they fit into a $5 action figure. No, you're right. I will, as we're talking about it, like I'm liking, I'm liking the figure more and more just because I do think it's like, it's, it's a pretty queer design. Maybe in a future extended run of the Iceman comic, we can encounter some of these characters. I, I hate to have, have them only be featured in the Iceman comic, but it'd be sort of fun. That leaves us with Strife. Here's a device to slide through time. The longer I travel, the harder it is to control. I got two charges, one to get me here, one to get me home. Strife is the mysterious evil mutant who could be Cable's brother, or perhaps even Cable himself. No one knows the truth about this fearsome warrior. 
and anyone who came close to finding out learned never to do it again. Strife's armor is not only shatterproof, it's packed with amazing weapon systems, but his most dangerous weapon is his energy mace. With just a touch, it can destroy a skyscraper. Remember, Magneto could dismantle a battleship. A mace, is that from the comics? Really? I don't believe so. I don't think that that is from the comics at all. Can you imagine, like, it's just, like, so ridiculous. Like, this, like, man walks up to, like, a skyscraper with, like, a little, like, rolling pin-sized mace, and then just, like, I imagine just, like, kind of, like, touch, like, tapping it. Boop. And then just, like, It's really more of a magic wand. Does he have sculpted nipples? It's very Batman forever. <laughs> but predates Batman. Clearly, no, it looks like there's actually four of those little, like, divots. But two well, of Have them you seen him are... shirtless? Do you know if he has four nipples? You know, I, I haven't, but I have seen Cable shirtless. They could be brothers. Hitherto, on today's episode, we have not had much background to talk about for any of these characters. Then we get to Strife. He has a complex backstory that we're going to not go into all the details on. So Strife first showed up in New Mutants 86 and 87. That's also when Forearm debuted. Um, One of them would go on to matter, one of them would not. You can figure out who was who. It was also when Cable first debuted and when Rob Liefeld first came on the series. Strife was the leader of this new, um, the Mutant Liberation Front. And then at the end of New Mutants 100, the twist ending was we saw Strife without his mask for the first time and he looked just like Cable. What I've heard is that originally one idea was that Strife was Cable from a further point in Cable's future. So like Cable would eventually like become Strife, which I think is a really interesting- That is really cool. Idea. That was, that never made it off of like the, you know, out of like the writer's bullpen. Cable was Cyclops and Madeline Pryor's son who was sent to the future. Cable was infected with the techno-organic virus as a baby before he was sent to the future. So, so he's sent to the future and he's being raised by this group called the Ascani. Mother Ascani, who was also Rachel Summers, who had been sent to the future and then grown into an old woman woman clones cable with the idea that like well if he dies then at least we'll have the clone which seems like a not very heroic thing to do cable doesn't die the clone would like grow up to become strife also the baby was i think stolen from the ascani by apocalypse and was raised by apocalypse apocalypse was raising him with the intention of eventually like taking him over as his next host body so one important distinction between strife and cable is that strife does not have the techno organic virus cable has to use a lot of his mutant power to keep that virus in check the telekinesis so strife is more powerful and was raised by you know the villain you know it got to the point where like apocalypse was like going to take over his body and then he realized that he was a clone and was like you're not good enough so like strife has like deep issues is that why he stole the costume from the silver samurai Yeah, he's got this like wild silver costume that I want to talk about in a second. The most interesting storyline I think that he was a part of was the Executioner's Song storyline. That was the first major crossover between all the X titles after the like 91 relaunch. Was that around 93 or 92? I think it was 92 after the image exodus took place. That storyline actually served to reset the status quo of like sort of the X-Books in general. Strife was the big bad of that storyline. In the first chapter, he dresses up as Cable and he stages an assassination on Professor X and infects Professor X with the techno-organic virus. And so his actions lead to the X-Men and X-Factor fighting X-Force. Always fun. In the meantime, Strife defeats Apocalypse and takes over Apocalypse Apocalypse's team, the Dark Riders. Strife comes into possession of the captive 
Cyclops and Jean Grey, and he takes them to his base on the moon because he has a moon base, of course. He does this like weird stuff, like he he forces Cyclops to eat baby food, and of course it's because Cyclops is like essentially his father since he's a clone of Cyclops's kid. Does Cyclops know this at the time? No. So originally the storyline was supposed to make clear like exactly what the relationship between Cyclops and Jean Grey and Cable and Strife was, but it, it didn't. The storyline ends with Cable and Strife seemingly killing each other. And then the epilogue, so Strife had traded with Mr. Sinister. He got Cyclops and Jean Grey from Sinister and gave Sinister like this canister that was supposed to contain Summer's DNA. So the final pages of the storyline are Mr. Sinister opening that canister and it releases the legacy virus into the atmosphere. I thought it was a cool storyline. I think he's a really cool character. No, that's good. And I knew that he was behind the legacy virus. I'd forgotten exactly how that happened. But that's one of my favorite storylines too, because it would affect everyone equally. And even Gideon would work to try to stop the legacy virus. Yeah, no, I mean, the legacy virus storyline was a metaphor for the AIDS pandemic. Honestly, I I do think that legacy virus would have been an interesting thing to have covered and in one of the movies at somehow, even tangentially. Let's talk about the toy. It it looks a lot like the drawings because the the character design itself is pretty fantastic with the mask and everything. I love this costume so much. His headpiece is super architectural. It, it looks like something you might see in a sculpture garden. I love like I love that adjective architectural for it. He's wearing this like silver body armor that's just covered in spikes. They're not everywhere. They're just kind of on the sides. You know from looking at him that he is a villain. And he has he has the red cape, which I think gives a um, a touch of majesty to the character. Well, when you add drapes, it typically softens a room, but here it doesn't do that. It's such a cool design, and I think that they did a really great job of recreating it in the action figure. Toy Biz is now all in on the plastic molded capes, and I don't know if this is a reused Magneto purple cape but colored red. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. It looks like it is, actually. Should we talk about the action feature? The flip-up helmet reveals identity? I mean, I guess we've already spoiled it uh, for our listeners. I mean, it's just what you said. You can flip it up and it's Cable's face. Oh my gosh. I think at the time that this toy was made, it still hadn't been explained what their connection was, including that as an action feature was capitalizing on the kind of intriguing mystery behind this character. I would have preferred sculpted head. You know, if you look at it from behind, it's like he's wearing a Halloween mask as opposed to like an architectural helmet. This is like the version of the helmet you find printed on the back of the cereal box and then cut out and put it in front of your face. From the front, I think it still looks okay. It's just such a cool toy. Even the mace itself, like just compliments the costume. Yeah, even though they made it up for the figure, like it looks like something that fits with him. I thought that there was another version of this that would come out later. That yeah, there's I like thought, a Marvel legend of him, but that's this this is the last time we see him in this line. Toy Biz, one and done. They had so many other good characters to cover, they couldn't revisit this one. For that storyline, like he was out of the comics for a long time, um, which was for the best because like the late 90s were not a good time to be a comic book character. So that's all the toys for today. Do we so want to talk about- So just the four of them, four bad guys from X-Force. In, in my mind, these characters all became very important because they got toys. Of the ones we talked about today, I think the best hands down is Strife. I think that the one I could like the most easily do without is Gideon. But I do want to talk a little bit about wishes, like characters that like maybe could have been included instead of some of the ones that we got. Yeah, well, I want to talk about another character who was introduced in New Mutants 98, Eve. She was 
one of Gideon's assassins. She's actually the person who gave Sunspot's father the poisoned coffee that led to his death. And as she walked across his office in her high heels, it made a clack, clack, clack sound effect. We talked about this earlier. The, the issue was that they were they had so little history. There was such a like a shallow bench of characters they could draw from. Like I think tempo is super visually interesting, and like if they had done a gold finish on her, like they did with silver silver surfer action figures at the time, could have been really cool. No, Tempo was at the top of my list. I think the Tempo is a really cool character. She can stop time, which is such a cool idea. She has this like gold bodysuit with this cool gold helmet. And then she also got a really interesting story arc in Peter David's X Factor, where the, the whole thing is kind of like a metaphor for abortion clinics. There's a there's a scientist who had developed a way to tell if fetuses were going to develop to be mutants or not. I think that Tempo ends up saving the doctor who's developed it because he's her father. Unfortunately, we know at this time they weren't making female characters so tempo i'm sure wasn't even considered but they're also reaper and zero were kind of cool mlf members i mean reaper has you know he has like a big scythe which i think would be an interesting action figure right now i'm looking at the back of the cover and so we've got like the really extreme x-force there at the top and then you see you know wave one of x-men which seems like a generation ago it seems like so long ago when you look at those sort of flimsy characters cyclops with almost no muscles a true slim summers versus like the extreme x-force over there with all their weapons you can see exactly what this was marketed as yeah no clearly the x-force are the cool kids and the X-Men are dweebs. And with that, we come to a close on on episode six. I did a lot of stuff, again, from Figure Realm. Very helpful. Their pictures, their write-up. I also looked at Wikipedia, as I, as I mentioned, um, and then went back to some of the original issues. We should also tell our readers, uh, our listeners, about how to contact us. We want to hear from you. We want to interact with you. There's lots of ways to reach us. You can email us at toyfixpodcast at gmail.com. Twitter at toyfixpodcast. Instagram at toyfixpodcast. Until it's revealed that Ginsu made Strife's costume, make mine toyfix. What's Ginsu? Like knives. Oh, okay. (laughs) Okay.